Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us, and it will continue to be in their hands long, long after us. It is a meeting place for sharing knowledge, for sharing stories and song, and we are privileged to be part of that storytelling here today and every day here at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past and present, and we are broadcasting from Redfern right now. Redfern is the birthplace of black theater in this country and it's a site for resistance and resilience for first nations peoples welcome to race matters Uh, this is a show hosted by people of color speaking with people of color about the ways we understand and value our racial identities i'm darren lasagas and i'm sada khan what are microaggressions Mm, spicy um (laughs) well uh more or less, like, how do they impact communities of colour living within white spaces on the daily? And how do you tackle an aggression that's really difficult to define? So Melbourne-based rapper and vocalist Ajale unpacked this nuanced idea in his track Hotlines off his latest EP, Wildly Disparate Sounds, and we'll be catching up with him shortly. Yeah, microaggressions. Kevin Adal, he's a, a professor of psychology at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, and he went on NPR and spoke about what they are and to him he defined them as the everyday the subtle the intentional and oftentimes unintentional uh, interactions or behaviors that communicate some sort of bias towards historically marginalized groups um, but yeah the difference between microaggressions and overt discrimination or micro macroaggressions is that people who commit microaggressions might not be uh, aware of them mm. I mean Sarah you and I have talked about this quite a bit but never as explicitly as we will today but like what are some of the microaggressions that you've experienced um so one would definitely be in a space that was a lot more closer to home and that was with a partner and so this partner it was in a conversation with all of his friends and they were all dictating a conversation it was around the time that Kendrick Lamar was doing the damn tour and when he first kicked it off he had that girl on stage and they were singing Mad City they were singing Mad City and she kept dropping the n-word in it and then remember he called her out and kind of kicked her off the stage and then that caused like a massive conversation around the use of the n-word and I found myself in that space with a group of white people one night um, my ex-partner's friends and they were all debating in amongst each other (laughs) who can use the (laughs) n-word And obviously, like, did my thing and told them all. I shut them all down on the spot and was like, let's get something straight right now. Not one single person in this room has any right to an opinion on this conversation. And they were like, what? Why? And I was like, do you do you want me to say it? Do you want me to explicitly state it? Because I will. We can go there. And they were like, what's that? And I was like, you're all white. 
You're all white debating on a word that has never been used in a racially discriminatory way against you. You have no right to the use of this word. How dare you think that you could even sit here and debate this in front of us as well, like other people of colour in the room. Um, and they came and like they were like, trying to have a back and forth for me about it and I wasn't having that back and forth and I was being very direct and in that direct moment my um partner at the time came over to me because he had never liked that causing a scene and so he come over to me and he was like Sarah like stop it and I was like no don't tell me to stop it like just have my back and he was like no come come on come outside we're gonna, we're gonna go outside right now and I was like, and then that moment I was like, I am so alone here. Like I thought, I actually like kind of arced out because I thought he had my back. Mm. And when he exhibited that kind of microaggression of like, stop talking about this immediately, but trying to be like, he thought he was being a peacekeeper. I was like, no, 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 you, you did. I, I was just, and I did, I immediately went quiet because I was like, oh, I'm the only one in the room that's like going to do this. And like, I, yeah okay well i'm not i'm not i'm not backed up here so i am just gonna exit yeah 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 it is that element of peacekeeping too which at the end of the day is silencing you know it's self-censorship and Mm. censorship of others when you favor uh a paradigm or a way of talking a way of thinking that is biased against people from marginalized backgrounds that is a moment of violence you know whether it be overt or not like the the fact that you bring up this happened with a partner is so telling of how damaging and how kind of betraying microaggressions can be i remember i had a partner once who was white and who we were watching a TV show and um, there was someone on TV show who was mixed race and we were talking about you know this person being quite attractive and then he said oh uh, is he attractive because he looks western and I was like what does it mean like in my mind I was like what does it mean to look western and why are you attributing a desire and attract like, attractiveness to this ideal of westernness uh, to me your partner who is not a quote-unquote western looking person and it's something that you internalize and you don't want to say anything because you know you're in a supposedly safe space with your partner you assume that you can be um, open about the things you think and feel and talk about with each other but when you find this like slight betrayal Mm. um it really puts you off and you fester and it comes out in some other form later and this is what we're talking about these are microaggressions you know these are things that people who are even the closest people Mm. to us will think is fine or not realize that they're doing but put you in a position where you're forced to peacekeep yeah and microaggressions can often come out um usually like in the moments that we just described as well when we're being quite vulnerable and open and unapologetic in in a really affirming way about our racial identity and that moment is completely like you said censored dismissed shut down neglected and you feel like you're just like standing there like (laughs) completely bare and like you can't like and and you don't even like really feel it immediately yeah it's like after the fact you feel it you think on it you you internalize and it's it really starts to that's when it kind of starts to have those unfortunately impacts on our mental health yeah i mean you can have a physical response to it you know there's been research on the idea that if you do experience a microaggression however along the spectrum it is that your body will react in a way that it doesn't react to anything else think about you know like black people people of color who are walking around grocery stores and subtly but 
obviously being followed around mm. by the shopkeeper or by um, security guards thinking that you're about to steal something by the very fact that you're being profiled and it's like your body clenches up you're making you're so aware of how you're presenting yourself outwardly that your whole body is just clenched mm. so yeah that's what we'll be talking about today eyes up to the heavens ignoring stop sign blowing my credit on microaggression hotline i never said this before but today i got time you gonna break out of me when i finally got mine hey and why you looking at me cock-eyed i'm watching my stock rise it's how we do it here on my side i stick and move i keep it clockwise i'm stacking these knots high that's how we move here on my side i grind all day so i'm distant just there, Ajali with his track Hotlines. You're listening to Race Matters. I'm Sada Khan. I'm Darren Lasagas. And earlier this week, we caught up with a musician Ajale to talk about growing up as part of the Nigerian diaspora, his new EP, Wildly Disparate Sounds and Microaggressions. Hey. I don't see no enemies, but I decipher all the messages they send in me. I feel the laser pointed stairs in my periphery. I'm young, black, and gifted. You really can't get rid of me. The hive minded still falling for that trickery. They can't help but hate a nigga when he living free. So I don't mind if we don't get along. My pedigree's been set in stone. Eyes up to the heavens. I guess I'd say that microaggression is a covert or um underlying form of racism that isn't quite known by the perpetrator but is very known by the victim it's it's something you have to be like acutely aware of to really understand how pervasive it can be Mm. but usually it flies under the radar yeah and uh having that understanding of what of microaggression is and then you know to the to the song hotlines what was the connection like what inspired the writing and, and recording of hotlines then um, I think, uh, I don't remember exactly when, but there was just a lot of, um, a lot of microaggressions happening in succession during this one period, maybe about a year and a half ago. Um, I think it was when, um, I was in my final year of uni at Collatz and there was just a lot of, I don't know, unsaid, unspoken little isms that I was noticing. And I was just talking to a mate as well, making music and, yeah, the, the hotline idea like came along and we were thinking about how good that would be if we could actually just call someone and be like, yeah, um, this, this just happened to me. Can you believe it? Like, because some people who we were hanging out with wouldn't understand it or um, would uh, kind of think that we're being too oversensitive mm. about it. Yeah, they'd minimise it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like when um a microaggression happens as well, we don't really like confront it then on. So like there was a part in your song as well where it's like, you know, oh don't go like don't go hurt anyone, like don't go, you know, just we'll start <laughs> out. And it was like, well yeah, like you need someone to kind of have in that moment just to like, you know, go like real ape about it all. Because, like, mm. otherwise it does, like, manifest itself a bit later because, we, you know, you do in kind, kind of internalise it. And, like, we've discussed previously on our show as well about the endemic of um, the Karen <laughs> and how they mm-hmm. exhibit behaviour that's really difficult to identify and challenge and you can end up internalising all of the microaggressions of the Karen. So how do you, yeah. like, how would you kind of combat that internalizing especially if it is like a karen type of microaggression because they're like another level yeah they 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 go like they get their power from um 
the the idea of microaggressions you know the, the fact that what what they're doing is not overtly disrespectful what they're doing is like perfectly within their means to say and do but they still know that they're using the power in a way that is insulting or, or derogative and that is so real that's why i love the, the fact that karen's has become a thing in yeah. 2020 i'd say so much um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good like it's the best it's become the best identifier for it now especially because like with karen's when you do call them out or you do find a way to call them out they are really good liars Mm. They're really good at them, like playing yeah. the victim or being like, like really um, innocent. And very white innocence is white innocence is very believable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. I think that's. I think uh, the main thing to to really combat microaggressions when you feel them is like you know maybe letting them slide is um is a self preserving thing, um, but. I think just having a good close group of friends who you can actually talk to and unload about those things without it seeming like you're being too extra or you're highly sensitive. It's, it's super important to talk to people um, about the small things that you're seeing. And if you are um, in a small group of friends that are switched on like that, then as you you know move forward in life, you'll know that like those things will get to you less because people understand what you, what you mean. You know? Yeah, I feel like my hotlines is like the group chat, or like the close the close <laughs> friends on Instagram. It's like that's my hotlines because I know without fail that I can talk about something that's either happened at work, happened in public that I've felt, you know, slighted by or like have felt confused by, but not realized until hours later, or even days later, that that was wrong. And then you voice yeah. it in this group chat. It's the hotline. They're like, oh yeah, yeah. that's pretty effed up and that shouldn't have happened mm -hmm. this happened to me too and then we all kind of like share these experiences it's kind of empowering to know that you know everyone is on the same level and is able to identify these behaviors and share like the burden and share the trauma because at the end of the day that's the best way to kind of deal with it that's like self-care i yeah. guess yeah. like seeing what that's you're exactly seeing what <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly. being, being yeah. seen and being seen either by your own peers or by, you know, the wider community is such a powerful thing. Like visibility, yeah. especially with microaggressions, is the most important part, you know, to be able to identify mm. them. Um, uh, well, Ijale, yeah. uh, alongside the release of Hotlines and uh, now your EP, Wildly Disparate Sounds, you published some conversations with friends uh, from all different industries about how uh, microaggressions can affect you on a deep like subconscious level. Uh, can you tell us mm. about what you covered in some of those conversations? Yeah, well, um, we spoke um, in depth, like a, a lot of the um, little snippets uh, are part of a larger, greater conversation. But um, I, I spoke with a, a human rights lawyer. I spoke with a photographer and graphic designer. I spoke with a spoken word poet and branding consultant. And a lot of these people do like, you know, more than one thing. So they have their like hands in a lot of different um pots and pies but we're all just kind of talking about being disparaged in a way that like makes us less um less comfortable in our field or less uh, or perceived as less capable which is mainly what i think um uh, like was an overarching theme with everybody i spoke to like it, it 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 took away from their sense of power and their sense of agency because people um you know thought blanket terms about them like they, they didn't like they weren't smart enough to get the like to get the brief or they weren't skilled enough to achieve what um like a client would want from them or like they just felt shut out of conversations because um they were implied because of their different lived experience they wouldn't understand what's going on and um 
yeah, it's that's super um, annoying. Like yeah. it's everybody can understand that, even like black, white, or whatever. Like when you when someone insults your intelligence and talks over you, it's yeah, it's really really annoying. Especially if they've never experienced it, but they're experts in it. Yeah, which they always seem to be. They always seem to be experts. <laughs> Was there some um, surprising things that came out of those conversations? Yeah, definitely. There were, we were uh, kind of talking about the idea of um, interracial dating um, and how some people not, might not be held by their partners in that, in that regard and, you know, they might slip up in their own way. Mm-hmm. And I saw that look. <laughs> <laughs> we have done entire episodes on this. <laughs> but please, no, please go on, go on. <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's, it's real. And it's like, you know, that, that can be the worst thing, like when, when your mm-hmm. partner um, doesn't see it or, or chooses not to, um, or chooses not to change um, their perception about things or even think deeper about flippant comments they make. That can be super damaging as well. And it can make you, you know, um, more disconnected with people around you if the person you've chosen to let in is saying that these things don't matter to, like, to them or shouldn't matter to you. Um, so we, we definitely spoke about that a lot. Like uh, Eva, one of the um, radio show presenters on, uh, on Triple R, was talking um, about a previous relationship of hers. She was um, married to a white man. And uh, I think one of the, <laughs> the funniest things was like him talking about like, you know, being surrounded by a group of, um, of black people and she was like, there wasn't a group of black people. That was just my family. That was just. Oh, wow. You know what I mean? You don't need to say it like that. Like it's yeah. such a shocking. And if, and if you understand how awkward it might be to walk into a room of only black people, imagine that literally what we do all the time. Yeah. Like by people, and we're really not that fussed about it. So <laughs> that was, I, I found it really, really telling. Yeah, it's kind of that, like, they do that separation of, like, you know, the mainstream general audience and then everyone else that's not white as other. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and you also did your own kind of, like, hotline reflection as well about something that we can definitely relate to. I mean, all the experiences detailed in these conversations are depressingly familiar. We're all, like linked up in it we all have some type of we we all have like a similar account um but you spoke Mm. of the pressure to also peacekeep and to not cause a scene i think with these small microaggressions that happen i'm often positioned to feel a chain reaction of a microaggression straight after that in that i get angry at myself for not handling it in the way that i would like because i'm pre-programmed to kind of peacekeep and not cause a scene or give rise to a confrontational situation. But immediately afterwards, I feel less pride in myself for not having stood up and said something in these small um, moments. And I don't want to choose your battles every time, but there's some of these little things that just get at you and you go into autopilot and you mitigate. But then you think on it later and you're ashamed of yourself. Why do you think microaggressions have that power to mess with our heads a long time after the words themselves have even been said? I think it's because we're so aware of the stereotypes that are placed on us. Um, I think 
I myself personally don't like like to cause a scene because people are expecting me to. People are expecting that uh, that hyper violent, um, you know, uh, demeanor of of a, of a black person who can't control their emotions or who's loud and you know rambunctious or whatever. And so I'm like super aware that I don't want to tick that box for them and prove that to them. Um, so usually when I when I hear things that are like you know not okay it would be my first response to, to keep a cool and not let them get the better of me. Um, but then later you do, yeah, you do feel a, a, yeah, just like a little bit of shame for not having like stood up because you're worried about what this random person thinks of you, you know, especially yeah. when they're so wrong about you from the beginning, like who cares what they think? Like let, let them have it kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. It's a fight you have to definitely pick sometimes like you like you were saying before like it's self-preservation and um definitely speaks to why i reckon a hotline is super important is there any way that we could invest in like a legitimate microaggressions hotline man i would i would honestly love to like the amount like i I got people who were obviously watching the series being like yo you are you you taking any more i was like oh dang I I didn't know that was going to happen, um, yeah. but it'd be a sick experiment to do just to, to, to see how how much it would help or um, how much how much attention it would get because it was already getting um, uh, a lot of responses when I was putting these videos out. So I reckon we do a pretty good job. Yeah, well, I mean, like we're in a state, we're in a moment right now where microaggressions are more rampant than ever, especially with social media. In, a, in amongst all of it, like it's it's kind mm. of like it's really hard to shy away from it. Even if you could curate your own social media feeds, they always they always kind of slip in some way. And I yeah. guess that's like the really frustrating thing is when like even when you are like shielding yourself from it, and then one of them slips in, it's like <laughs> just one one Honestly, day one yeah. day of rest would be nice. <laughs> yeah, I feel like yeah, that's, that's so true. Like the past few months, have um, people have developed um, like a hyper awareness of them happening around us and um yeah this your idea that you were talking about earlier about um not wanting to like arc up whenever you hear one or when you know when something happens to you you want to peace keep and then walking away and feeling guilty um Mm. i feel like it's like the burden of responsibility like should because it's happened to me should i take the 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 step forward and kind of call it out because for me like for the most part, like I can take it and like I'm pretty resilient and I have a community of people around me who will support me. But for me to be silent, will this person then think that it's okay for it to happen to someone else mm-hmm. who may be more vulnerable than I am? And it's like you think about what kind of precedent does this set every time that you remain silent on a microaggression, you know? That's exactly it. Yeah, for sure. And like, I, I grew up doing that. I grew up like just completely staying mute and being like, I knew like I knew that was overtly racist and like the more you um be silent because you're afraid of losing your entire friendship group when you're 15 years old um yeah that stays with you it stayed it obviously stays with stayed with me like till now um and uh, i think i am trying to make a more conscious effort if, if that does happen um with with most things like you know with with uh with sexism with homophobia and stuff like that you just have to make more of an effort um, to do that and difficult conversations are obviously going to happen um, but the more you have them the the better you're equipped at dealing with them mm. totally and the staunch your hotline is afterwards it's <laughs> yeah. like 
I feel like I feel like if you do have that hotline, you feel better like equipped as well to then tackle those conversations totally. after the fact. Yeah. So um, you've also said that um, you're not the same person you were when you first wrote Wally Disparate Sounds, which I feel like mm. is the case a lot of the time when you write something and because everything you write speaks to that um, current moment in time. What's changed mm. for you now from when you wrote it then to currently? I think uh, I was writing it like that was the first time that I'd sat down and been reflective about those experiences really. Um, so that was like the first filtering of those feelings, thoughts and emotions in a, in a way that I could understand. But now that I've lived with it and I've been like mixing those songs over and over and over and over and over again, I feel like I really learned um, all of the lessons that those songs talk about. And mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, I'm talking about a lot of things like heartbreak and um, all the highs and lows that come from that and um, finding a place in the world and things like that. Um, I think I'm a lot less uh, naive um, about certain things, certain situations. I'm, uh, I'm trying to be a lot, a lot more self-assured just in myself. Um, and yeah, I'm just, just a little bit older. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, you're older now. <laughs> Older, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. how do you feel then now, like listening back to the EP? There are there are certain songs that um that still hit me, obviously, like in a in a very palpable way. Like it's it hasn't really been that long since it's come out, but I feel like I I love them a lot, but I also never want to listen to them again. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. It's yeah. definitely the thing where you look back on like, because it, it, having something that kind of tangible in your hands, like an EP, it's like you're looking into your past. <laughs> mm. You get like a visual look in. Yeah, very much so. And this stuff like this, this stuff happened, you know, not too long ago, really. Like this all happened in the space of a, of a year and a bit. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, looking at them with a, like a magnifying glass as you have to do when you're making the music is was a um <laughs> was an emotional experience it probably like it wasn't um the the best thing to do to like mix and master and record everything myself because i was just like looking at my life like this <laughs> and <laughs> it definitely um made me a little bit neurotic at times but um i think it was good i think i've like officially like closed that chapter of life off because i really did it yeah. justice kind of and what's been like the response to the EP from your immediate community or even beyond from like just the diaspora that you made it for? Mm, um, uh, in terms of my, my immediate circle, um, it's been really, really good. Like friends who I am, I used to hang out with like all the time when I used to live in Sydney, um, uh, you know, got in touch with me and told, told them like that I, showed a different side of myself that they'd never really seen before and um that it, you know hit them pretty um personally which is yeah it's really cool um to know that they uh know certain sides of me that i was kind of afraid to to tell them about um again just because you know you feel a little bit alienated even if those people are your friends like just because you aren't the same color of as them and the, the, your, your circumstances are different um, so it was nice to feel like we're closer. Mm. Um, mu- musicians and and other people who do what I do in Melbourne um, have received it really well, which is like obviously just gratifying in a in a narcissistic kind of way. 
But um, <laughs> uh, you got to feed yourself for it. Hype yourself. <laughs> yo, I, I've been feeling good lately. Yeah, I'm good. Have <laughs> been pretty good, and I'm. Yeah, I think uh, that I needed that more than I thought I did before mm. I finished it. Um, so that's been good, and like, I kind of like honestly made this like for the non-black people as much as I made it for the black people because like I feel for a lot of people that I know I'm the only black person they know so like I felt like I needed to be as honest and as candid as I can so that like they don't feel as awkward having conversations about this stuff because really like it's on a human level we're just all kind of dealing with um the same things like finding our place in the world and you know having family drama and all that stuff um so yeah, I, I feel pretty good about how people have been like living with it and sitting with it so yeah. far. And mm. as with like many spaces in this country as well, the music industry is obviously white, um, <laughs> overwhelmingly. And but there's also an ever growing, really strong community of Black and First Nations artists that are rising up, particularly where you are in Melbourne. So who are some of those musicians that are inspiring inspiring you at the moment? Oh, there's so, so many. Um, obviously, like, Sampa the Great, shouts out to her. She's really, she's out here killing it. Friggin' Jada Pinkett Smith is listening to her music. That's dope. Um, but, like... So many people. Kai's doing really well. Dreaming yeah. Now is amazing. Um, uh, there's a lot of rappers um, out here who I really, really like. Jordan Dennis is one. Jal is another. Uh, Daniel Ely is one. Um, but Sydney is kind of popping off too, though. Uh, Genesis Owusu and Kwame and um, obviously Manu. And um, there's like a lot of R&B cats out here who are doing really great stuff. Like... Um, uh, Jay Swayze is from Sydney. Minor Doe's from Sydney. Um, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of people um, in both Sydney and Melbourne and um, even Brisbane as well who are doing really cool things. Um, and I kind of wish, well, I don't wish that I, uh, that I did move to Melbourne. I'm happy with my decision, but things are really popping off in Sydney right now. <laughs> like all these Instagram parties of, of, of all this black en- excellence is like chilling in a, in the living room, I was like, I know those people and I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that kind of speaks really strongly to your situation at the moment. I mean, like we did did Race Matters episodes around self-care when COVID first kicked off back in March. And now for yourself being in Melbourne, where sadly lockdown measures are like super um, harsh at the moment, they're being really heavily enforced. Um, Mm. Have there been like any type of self-care tactics you've been implementing for yourself during this time? Yeah. Uh, the, the, the lighting situation is one of those. <laughs> <laughs> like this is a, I don't know, three by three room and it makes the room feel a little bit bigger. And it, obviously I can, ch- I can change the colors and stuff. So it's just like, I can, I don't know. I can switch my surroundings up super easy, even if it is superficial. So that's like mm-hmm. helping. Um, working out is one as well. Like I hate, exercising but yeah the um the dopamine and and all that stuff that it releases is obviously um meant to be used for a reason so that's been good um i'm like i'm locking down with my family at the moment so that's i'm with my dad um my uh my stepmom and their newly born child who's like 
squishy little 15 month old Whoa. oh that's uh, that would be nice to have a little bubba around oh yeah she's the cute she's the cutest thing i've ever seen in my life yeah um and yeah so that's been really nice as well so like yeah i think um that's been good in my my um current partner right now is is definitely a source of a lot of happiness um she's like the only person that i've seen uh except my family in the last like few months so that's been great shout out to her Uh, you've shared some really beautiful words uh, about how your understanding of race has uh, shaped your life. Uh, in particular, you say it shapes the way you deal with trauma, trust wholeheartedly, love deeply, and deal with intimate forms of betrayal. Um, I love these mm. words because they speak so clearly to, where, to the way our connection to race has the ability to empower us, devastate us, and everything in between in a way that mm. nothing else... Um, in our life can do when did you realize there was power in your race i guess i first realized it uh and i claimed it i guess when i started to make music like there was there's certain times when i like remember back in high school and um in uni where um i would get attention for doing absolutely nothing and i always wonder what that was about like um you know, uh, people would seem enamored by the things that I said and did because that it was just novel to them. And I didn't understand that. I thought it was kind of weird. But when um, I started making music and I got more in tune to my culture and um, started using a lot of like Nigerian and African influences in my music, I started to become more proud of um, my skin color and my heritage um, beyond just being a token. You know what I mean? Like, that got me by like that like you know that made that made sure that i wasn't ostracized and alienated but it still felt weird you know it still felt like i was an other um so making music definitely helps me like really um start to really appreciate myself and and the the the, the line of um ethnicity that i come from yeah. live it, live it, live it. Spend it, earn it, sin it Learning, learning, learning Crush it, roll it, burn it Live it, live it, live it Spend it, earn it, sin it Learning, learning, learning Yeah Hey yo, you casting bad vibes Why you stressing me? Take a breath, calm down, save your energy You got the plan, got the means Not to mention steadfast resolution And an act with that melody this is Race Matters. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Sada Khan. We're also joined in the studio right now with our BTS behind the scenes executive producer, the one and only Tanya Ali. Hello. <laughs> so good to be with you guys. I know. I love it when you come in here, especially for our hot takes, because this is like the <laughs> off air stuff that gets to make it on air. <laughs> um, and one of the like hot takes that I definitely been wanting to unpack because we've had a difference of opinion for the first time ever at Race Matters. <laughs> and it has to do with the release of Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion's track WAP. I don't know if like for media and law regulations we can actually like say WAP, like say what it stands for. I feel like people should just Google it. You know what? I mean, let's just give a big language warning yeah. because we're going to play the song yes. and it requires a huge language warning and we'll be referencing what, what is you know talked about in the song 
in the next few minutes. So if you're that way inclined. Yeah, turn it down. Okay, I have so much to say around all of this. I unpacked it a little bit at Cree Radio as well. So I did watch the track when it first dropped a film clip on Saturday morning. Um, I was at a friend's house. Um, we had a sleepover at another friend's house and me and one of my friends were in bed together and she was like, oh my God, the track dropped. And I was like, let's put it on now. And we we're watching it. And then we we're like, okay, all right. Kept going. And then the music stopped. And then we were like, nah, is that Kylie Jenner? And she was like, nah. And we had to keep watching because we were like, surely not. Because we were just like, not nah, in denial about it, that it was Kylie Jenner. And then we jumped out of bed, ran to our friend's room. And we were like, did you? And she's sitting there on the phone and she's like, I watched it. And what? I can't even, like, just, what did I just watch? You know? And it all had to do around, there was a number of reasons why we were feeling conflicted about it. Main reason, I think we wouldn't feel as conflicted about it if, it wasn't Kylie Jenner that was had the biggest cameo in it. But for us, and I spoke about this with a couple of other sister girls of mine, just want to make it super clear at the start as well of this, that like my criticism of it has nothing to do with the sexualization of these women. These women are so unapologetic and empowered in their bodies. It is fierce. It is something that should never, ever come into question. And if it's something that makes you uncomfortable, that's something that's a, that's something you got to check on yourself. I mean, yeah, the first thing that I thought when I saw it and when I heard it was, you know, we hear dudes rapping super sexually explicitly all the freaking time, and it was kind of it was empowering to hear them just go off. I'm like, that's great. I'm also just like, what do you think Cardi B's brand is? <laughs> yeah, like. Why is that, like, why is Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion doing what they've always consistently done? <laughs> this, it's actually not that, it's not different to anything else that they have promoted or, like, been on, like, it's pretty on brand. This is their thing, you know? So that's why people were all shocked by it. I was like, why? Like, this is what they always do. But at the same time, like, yeah, like, why are you, why is it for black women, like, women in general, but particularly black women, they can't take full control of their bodies and their sexualities. It's something that you need to dictate and you need to set the rules for. Yeah. But why I didn't like it is not to do with that. <laughs> yes, go in. I just like... I just felt like for Megan Thee Stallion, I mean, this time last year she dropped Hot Girl Summer with Nicki Minaj, which was just like... Truly iconic. Iconic. Like, it was just something else. And then she had the Savage song drop, which was also just like, boom. And then we were blessed with Beyonce rapping for the first time. I don't think we've ever heard Beyonce rap like this before over her track. It was just like, boom, 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 boom. And then when this was coming out with Cardi B, everyone was like, yes, give it to us, give it to us. And I just felt like it fell flat. I just, so I just your, had, your beat with this song is that it's just not a good song. I just, I just, I just, I just felt like the beat didn't hit that hard. Oh, that's it wasn't fair. like I just, I was just expecting so much more, and I just felt like it just went super flat. <laughs> like I just didn't. I was like, oh, what? Like we come, and then, and then I don't think I would feel this like meh about it if Kylie Jenner wasn't in it. <laughs> 
There was so many cameos from so many women and the longest cameo was given to Kylie Jenner. Okay, but can we all agree that the best cameo was Normani without a doubt? This is why I'm frustrated because her cameo was shorter and it had more in it. It I don't feel like I need to explain it. That's what? what we're here to do. Right? That's what we're here to do. We're here to critically engage. Critically engage. With I'm, wet ass I'm, pussy. I'm still. I'm on that train. I'm on that board. I'm on board. <laughs> do a sound. <laughs> it doesn't hit as hard. <laughs> no, I am. I'm totally on board for the critical engagement train. Critical thinking train. Let's do this. So I'm back. <laughs> I don't know. I expected more. <laughs> And that's fair. I feel like that's fair. On that note, should we listen to the song? Yeah, <laughs> let's do it again. I do have to say, though, the one of my favourite part, I do have faith from it, and my favourite part, just because I feel like I'm going too hard sometimes. Um, <laughs> my favourite part of it is, like, the scene in the mansion where they're in the purple and green room, and it looks like a factory almost. It looks like Willy Wonka. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Do you know what I'm talking, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking yeah, yeah. about? Yeah, that was my fave. That was, like, that, was, that choreography was... Oh, it when they're great. in the water? Oh, the water I like was, the water yeah, scene. Yeah, I do like the water part as well. Okay, All look, right. you've got to check out the video if <laughs> okay, you haven't yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to play the song again, a massive language warning on this. This is WAP. I said certified free, seven days a week. Wet ass pussy, make that pullout game weak. Charge extra large and extra hard. Put this pussy right in your face. Swipe your nose like a credit card. Hop on top. I wanna ride. I do a kegel. What is inside? Spit in my mouth. Look at my eyes. This pussy is wet. Come take a dive. Tie me up like I'm surprised. That's role play. I wear disguise. I want you to park that big Mac truck right in this little garage. Make it cream. Make me scream. I don't public. Make the scene. I don't cook. I don't clean, but let Aye. me tell you, I got Aye. this ring. Gobble me, swallow me, drip down the side of me. Quick yeah. jump out for you, let it get inside of me. I tell them where to put it, never tell them where I'm about to be. I run down on them before I have a nigga running me. Talk your shit, bite your lip. Ask for a car while you ride that dick. You really ain't never got him fucking for a thing. He already made his mind up before he came. Now get your boots, hang your coat, fuck this wet ass pussy. He bought a phone just for pictures of this wet ass pussy. Pay my tuition just to kiss me on this wet ass pussy. Now make it rain if you wanna see. That's all for Race Matters this week. A big, big thank you again to Ijale for coming on the show. Don't forget to stream his new EP, Wildly Disparate Sounds. I'm Darren Lasagas. I'm Tanya Ali. And I'm Sada Khan. You can find us at fbiradio.com forward slash Race Matters or wherever you get your podcasts. Catch you next week. Bye. Race Matters. 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 Race Matters.